Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Animal Files podcast. Thank you for joining us. Last episode, we discussed how the size of your pet can potentially have an impact on their health, their behavior, and their well-being. And perhaps you either chose a larger or smaller pet for your family. Do you know how their size can affect the pet products you buy? Is it one size fits all or one size for all with some products? Can you use larger size products for smaller animals like kennels? Does it really matter? Well, we are here to tell you it does, it does, it does, it does. So Miranda, why is it important for our listeners to really consider the size of their pet when choosing the products? There's a few reasons why it's a really good idea to pay attention to choosing the appropriate products in relation to your pet size. Because when we do this, we can help to ensure our pet's comfort, safety, and their overall well-being. So today we're going to provide you with a detailed guide on what you should look for and consider when you're selecting these some of these different products for your pets. So let's start with one of the biggest ones, the kennels, the crates, and the carriers. You kind of need those if you're going to have a cat or a dog or actually any animal. I had a crate for my bird. So mm-hmm. that's something that everybody's going to need to buy. So what do we need to know about that? Yeah, even maybe cages too, if you're having a cage for your bird. Oh yeah, definitely. As well, yeah. But, you know, some people may not have a kennel or crate in their home because they feel like they don't need it, like for a cat, for example. But most people are at least going to have a carrier for their cat to take them to the vet. Although some people don't have that either. (laughs) Well, we should change that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you listen to us long enough, you know that having a carrier, especially when traveling with your animals in a car, is the safest way to travel with your animals. Because heaven forbid you get into an accident, that animal goes flying. If they're in a carrier, they're protected. Mm -hmm. And with cats as well. Because most of them are not comfortable with being in a vehicle and are already going to be stressed just simply being in a vehicle, they could end up, you know, if you have them on your lap or something, they could be trying to like jump off and try to hide underneath the seat or something else that might be in the vehicle, or they just could be moving around because they're stressed. And it's just not a good idea. It's not safe for the driver. It's not safe for them. So the first thing you should consider you know, obviously we're talking about size here. So the first thing you should consider when you are looking for a kennel or a crate or a carrier or a cage. (laughs) (laughs) We can't forget those hamsters and those rats and those guinea pigs. They need big spaces. The ferrets, they all need spaces. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in those cases, it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Because they're going to need room because that's going to be like their entire home. It's going to be for, yeah. for guinea pigs and that. They need to have a space where they can go to the bathroom, a place where they can sleep, a place where they can be active or whatever. But for animals like dogs and cats, 
what you need to be considering is that it should be large enough for them to be able to stand up, turn around and lie down comfortably. So you might be thinking, okay, well, I've got a small puppy that is going to get larger. So let's say, I don't know, I guess a lab puppy growing into an adult lab. Well, there's going to be a big difference in size. So you might be thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to get the size that is going to allow an adult lab to be able to stand up, move around, turn around in, and that'll give the puppy plenty of room. No, too yes. much room. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen with that is that a puppy or a kitten, if they've got too much space, they may end up, because you know they're still learning how to control their, their bladder and knowing when is the appropriate time to go to the bathroom and all of those kinds of things. So if they've got that extra space, they might just choose to defecate or urinate in that extra space, which could end up creating housebreaking issues for you. So they're not going to want to do that in the place that they're sleeping. So if they've only got enough space to sleep, but not enough space to do that, then that means that they have to wait for you to take them out to do their business. It's basically an assistant to help you house train yes. your animal. <laughs> I mean, they may have an accident because their bladders yes. are little and they have to learn to be able to control it. So don't mistake an accident for them using the crate as a bathroom. But definitely if it's too big, they will go over here in one corner and use it as a bathroom and then sit way over here to stay in the dry area. Mm. You don't want that. You don't want that because that's not going to mm. help you with the potty training. Now, I do know that there are some crates out there that are potty training crates that will have a section that's actually specifically for potty and then specifically for bed. So if you have to leave your animal for more than say four hours and they're not quite house trained, then you can use that as an option, but that is supposed to be used to eliminate that need over a period mm -hmm. of time. So it's not something that you should 100% rely mm -hmm. on. That's not going to help you with mm -hmm. potty training. And there's also, I think, kennels, carriers, and crates that could have partitions in them that can be added or removed. Yeah, I think that's the kennel mm -hmm. that I was thinking about, where it actually has a partition for them to use. And then that is made to be adjustable as they get housebroken mm -hmm. over time. So it, I guess it would be adjustable. And another reason why getting an extra large crate or kennel for a puppy or a kitten. It's usually more in the case of puppies because kittens are not going to grow that much larger, usually, unless yeah. maybe they're a Maine Coon. <laughs> 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 but it can create a lot of anxiety and insecurity for them because it feels like it's too much exposure. They're not getting that feeling like they're in a den. And particularly with cats, they like to have that den feeling where they feel they're kind of protected around all their areas, except for where they're basically able to look out and see what's going on. And when we end up creating anxiety or insecurity in our animals, this can also lead to crate training issues because now they're not going to associate this crate or carrier or whatever with a positive experience because of these feelings that are coming up. 
Another reason that can create issues to have a carrier that's too large is that an overly large kennel or crate can encourage curious yet destructive behaviors. That might be connected to the stress and the anxiety of being in a space mm-hmm. too big. And if you're using an overly large carrier or kennel or crate to transport your animal, wherever it is you might be taking them, if you're taking them to the vet or the groomers or even on holidays, if you've got something that is too large, they could end up incurring injuries because they're sliding around in it. Like if it's an animal you can actually hold by the handle and walk with them, then they could be sliding back and forth to the front and the back because it's unstable and they have too much space. But also in a vehicle, if there's a sudden stop or an accident, they're going to just suddenly slide forward to the front. Yeah. And that also goes into size. If it's too small, you're also going to have problems. If you have a kennel that's too small for your dog, then that also is going to create stress and anxiety because they can't move around. You're also going to create structural issues, muscle imbalances, if they can't get up and move around. And you may end up having unwanted behaviors coming out of your animal, like destructive behaviors and all of that. And maybe even more problems with anxiety and separation and all that stuff, because they don't want to be in that space that's Mm -hmm. too small. It's too restrictive. And that goes Mm -hmm. for cats as well is you have to find that happy medium. And if you have a dog that's going to end up being big, then be prepared that you're going to be buying different crates along the life of that dog. And you got to be okay with that. Or at least until they reach their full adult size. Yeah, but you'll probably have to have two other sizes along Mm -hmm. the route that they can feel comfortable in. Mm -hmm. So be prepared. Getting a big dog or a dog that's going to be at least 50, 60 pounds and above, you're going to probably buy several crates or several kennels over the lifespan of Mm -hmm. that dog. And then once they get to full size, that would be the one that they maintain. But that takes about two and a half years. So mm-hmm. be prepared. Some dogs might even take three and a half right. years. So yeah. You don't know. Because <laughs> they get thicker and sturdier yes. and heavier. <laughs> <laughs> be prepared. Now that we've talked about why you need to consider the size of the kennel or crate or carrier for your pet, you might be wondering, well, how do I figure out what is the right size? You know, I mean, we did talk about they need to be able to stand, move around, lie down comfortably. But more specifically, what you need to do is you need to figure out what is your pet's height, their current height, not what they're going to be, but what their current height is. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about their height, you want to measure to the top of their head when they are standing normally and also measure the length, which would be from the back of the neck or the collar to the base of their tail. And then add a few extra inches to that measurement. But size is not the only thing. As Victoria was mentioning about the pet's weight, that's another consideration because different dogs of the same size can be of different weights depending on their muscle mass and also sometimes their bone mass as well. So an animal that is a sturdier muscular breed is going to need a kennel that's going to support their weight. You can't have something that's going to have a flimsy bottom unless it's something that is going to just stay lying on the floor the whole time and never get picked up and moved with them in it. Yeah. And just to give you a a visual representation of that, look at, say, a Mastiff, big dogs, thick dogs, heavy dogs, but then look at a Greyhound about the same height 
but completely different bone structure, completely different body structure. They're about the same size in height and length, but their weights are worlds mm. apart because a greyhound is built for running and a mastiff is built for working. Mm-hmm. That's a give you a visual representation of what Miranda is talking about. So just a little bit of extra things to consider when you're choosing a kennel is when it comes to safety, you want to make sure that the kennel is sturdy, well-constructed, and has secure latches to be able to prevent them from escaping. And we all know those Houdini animals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We have to remember all animals are individuals, but just a side note back to the size, if you get the proper size for your animal, they will be less motivated to escape because mm-hmm. they're comfortable unless you have a yes. <laughs> Ventilation is another consideration because you want to make sure that your kennel crate carrier is going to have adequate airflow. So some of these plastic versions out there may have limited ventilation holes. They're going to have some because obviously they have to have some, but think about where you're going to have your kennel or crate placed and the kind of environment that you're in. Does it tend to be fairly warm in that environment or just where you live? Does it tend to be fairly warm? And do you have air conditioning and things like that? Because not having enough air holes or ventilation holes is going to encourage the hot air to build up inside. This can lead to heat exhaustion and dehydration. And just plain uncomfortableness. So really make sure you're looking for things like mesh panels or openings that are going to provide a sufficient amount of fresh air circulation. Look also at portability because you need to consider the weight and the portability of the kennel, especially if you plan to travel with your pet. Collapsible or lightweight kennels can be convenient for transportation, but they may not be suitable for longer term if you're going to be using them in the home on a regular basis. Yeah. Now, just because some people may think that theirs is collapsible, we're talking mainly about the plastic ones for transportation. A metal kennel is good to bring with you to the location where you're going to be staying. But if you are transporting them, you want them to be in a harder surface, like the plastic surface, because a metal crate in the car may not be very safe, especially if you get into Mm -hmm. an accident, because that could crush easy and get puncture wounds if the crate breaks or something like that. So those plastic ones that you can take the top off and seat them in, you know, that's a collapsible mm-hmm. one. That's what we're talking about for transportation. And especially with cats, soft crates are great for taking them to the vet and everything, but it doesn't give them any protection if you were to get into an accident. So having a hard plastic crate for transportation is going to be safer for both your cats and your dogs or any other animal you might be traveling with and use the, you know, I guess some of the metal ones are collapsible, but take that with you for your destination, not for safety in the car, if that makes any sense. You know, because some people call crates and kennels, they they mix them, those words, and they kind of stand for the same thing in a lot yeah. of people's minds. And that's not quite what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, you may have to have at least a couple of different ones, one that you use at home and one that you use for transportation. Yeah, for my cats, I have a little bit of everything. I have a backpack, I have a soft carrier for plane flight, and I have hard carriers for taking them on long trips 
and taking them to the vet if necessary. If they're going to be in the highway for a long time, it's safer for them to be in a hard mm-hmm. crate. So now that we talked about crates and kennels, because everybody's going to need one of those if you've got a cat or a dog, what are some of the other things that we need to also take size into consideration for? Uh, well, toys is another one. And I think we've talked about toys a bit in relation to size in some of our other episodes. We probably talked a little bit about all of these a little bit in other episodes, but this is just going to be more detail. <laughs> We're pretty thorough. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about safety when it comes to toys, but we also need to consider the size appropriateness of toys that are going to be suitable for your pet's size as well as their breed. Because when we buy toys that are too small or too large, it can create a choking hazard if it's too small and, you know, you get one of those little balls or something like that and it's a Great Dane that's playing with it, there's a potential they could swallow it accidentally. Or they could also, depending on how the ball is made, they could end up biting into it and swallowing pieces of it, which then that can lead to ingestion or intestinal blockages, both if they swallow it whole or if they end up swallowing pieces. Mm-hmm. But if you've got say a really large toy that might be more appropriate for a big mastiff and you get that for your Maltese. (laughs) (laughs) The visual of that. They're probably not going to be so inclined to play with it or they might try to play with it and feel frustrated because it's too cumbersome for them to play with or it's too big for them to carry. So they can't do much with it. Also, if the size is not correct, it could end up creating dental damage for them because it could injure their jaw muscles, their teeth, or their gums. Sometimes if you have multiple pets in your home, especially dogs that are of varying sizes. So again, let's kind of go with the example of having a Maltese as well as having a Mastiff. That's going to be a big difference in size. And If you've only got toys that are still for the Maltese, or you've only got toys suitable for the Mastiff and any other dogs that you might have in between, this could end up leading to conflicts because both dogs are going to want to have some kind of interaction with the toys that are there for them. But if you don't have enough or you don't have enough varying sizes, you could end up having an issue of aggression or possessiveness. Now, that's also can be an issue in itself, too, because there are some dogs who are more prone to aggression or possessiveness as well. So that's also something that can be worked with in training. But that is one thing to consider to help prevent that. And if you don't have the appropriate size toy, you can also end up creating a lack of exercise and mental stimulation for them. You need to make sure that the size of toy you get is going to match your pet's energy level as well as their play style so that they can release pent up energy, boredom, and reduce any potential destructive behavior. Because when they've got the right toys, they're going to want to engage with that toy. Otherwise, they are more likely to find other ways to release that pent-up energy boredom and have that potential for destruction. Anything else you want to add? So that's a lot of stuff you have to consider. But the one main thing that you have to remember and that you have to use in your consideration is that you have to consider the pet's breed, their jaw size, their jaw strength, the condition of their teeth, 
whether they're a baby or whether they're a senior, you want to make sure you're getting the appropriate toy for them. You don't want your senior to be losing teeth because the toy's too hard and you don't want to hurt your baby's growing teeth. So something to keep in mind. And you also have to make sure, and we mentioned it before, their play style. If you have a destroyer, you have to choose appropriate toys. If you have a, a dog that plays with their toys like a cat does, maybe you need to keep that into consideration as well. They all have to be taken into consideration when you're talking about toys for your large or small dog. And if you keep that in mind, all the other stuff is just going to come easily. Mm-hmm. The three other things is the durability, safety, and variety. So when you're looking for the durability of the toys, you want to look to see if it's made from sturdy materials that can withstand your pet's chewing and play habits. And if you have a type of pet that is a heavy chewer or might be considered a destroyer, you want to consider toys that are designed specifically for durability and look to see if they are labeled as indestructible. Now, keep in mind that even though it's labeled as indestructible, no toy is 100% indestructible. (laughs) Unless they're playing with like titanium balls or something like that, which we wouldn't recommend. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So that means that if you have that kind of dog, well, it doesn't really matter what kind of dog you have. You should always be keeping an eye on them when they are playing. When it comes to safety, you want to look for toys that are not going to have small parts that can be easily chewed off or swallowed. And particularly with cats, you want to avoid toys that have strings, ribbons, or any kind of loose attachments that could lead to either entanglement for them, because some cats have choked with some of those types of toys, or they have swallowed those pieces that have come off. And so you end up having this obstruction and choking that can occur. But variety is also important. You know, just like children can get bored with only having access to one type of toy, they're going to get bored. So you want to provide a variety of toys that are going to cater to different types of play, such as interactive toys. Interactive toys means they have to engage with it or you engage with them and the toy. They could be puzzle toys. They could be plush toys. They could be balls. This is all going to help keep your pets mentally stimulated and help to prevent that boredom. Which is important if you want to prevent destructive behaviors. Mm -hmm. Well, we have one more section this half that we want to touch on, and that is beds. I mean, I know we've all seen those pictures of like the cat taking up the big giant dog bed and the dog sleeping on the cat's bed. We've all seen that. But it's funny. But the one thing that you need to take away from those videos is there's a big bed and a little bed. You need to have both. So let's talk about the size of the beds that we choose for animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the main things that you need to consider when you are choosing the size of the bed is that you need to consider the current size of the pet. So again, like the kennels and the crates and that, consider how much they're going to grow. And this is again, where you may have to start off with a smaller bed and then get a larger bed as they get larger but also consider their sleeping habits because different animals can sleep differently. Some of them like to be completely stretched out from head to toe. Others like to be curled up into a little ball 
And that can be a combination of personality. It can also be a level of comfort that that animal has. Age two. I noticed with Maisie and Frankie, when they were really little, they stretched out all the way, like feet straight out the back of them. I have many (laughs) pictures of them stretched out like three feet. They ended up being three feet long, these little tiny cats. But as they got older, well, as Maisie got older, because Frankie only made it two, but as Maisie got older, she preferred to be more compacted when she slept. So instead Mm. of being all spread out, she might do that to stretch and in the midst of going from one deep sleep to the other deep sleep. But when she was ready for like a a massive nap, she was all curled up. Mm -hmm. So she Mm. would choose her bed according to her mood. So we always had lots of different sizes of beds and she would choose it, even the big bed. Sometimes she would be in one little corner all in a ball. That was just how she preferred. As she got older, that's what happened. So I don't know if that was Mm. specific to them or specific to uh, all cats. I don't know. I know dogs Mm kind of need space. You know, they're big. So, well, a lot of them are. But as far as the cats are concerned, I do notice that as my cats got older, they like to curl up together. Now, what could be a temperature regulation? As they get older, they want to be warmer. Mm. I don't know. But that's another thing to keep in mind. So always have a variety of sizes. You don't have to throw out of bed. Yeah. And just also be aware, like notice when you see your animals sleeping, how do they seem to want to sleep right now? Do they have a tendency to want to stretch out more, more of the time? Or do they have a tendency to want to curl up in a ball? Or you may also see some animals who just like to sleep in really, really odd positions or way up high. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've seen some of these cats where they're like, I don't know, their body's kind of like all twisted and they're sleeping on something what looks really uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But they're out cold. I've even seen a dog climb a cat tree and sleep on top of the cat tree. Mm. So it goes with dogs too. Sometimes dogs want to be higher. (laughs) Or they just want to be a cat. I don't know. (laughs) But I've seen that happen. I've seen a dog (laughs) climb a cat tree. Yeah. So basically you want to have beds that are going to provide enough space for your pet to comfortably stretch out and lie down. So you may need, in some cases, a larger, more rectangular shaped bed for them to stretch out on. Or you may need one of those more donut sort of shaped beds for them to curl up in. Again, depending on how they prefer to sleep. There's three other things to consider as well when you are looking for beds. Well, actually, I'm going to say four because there's one other thing I'm going to add in as well. And that's location, because depending on where you have the bed, too, may have an impact on the size of bed you can put in there if it's not a big space. But you also want to consider the support of these beds. Does it have adequate cushioning for them? Can it provide them with orthopedic support? So let's say you've got a senior animal who has arthritis or some kind of joint issues. Is the bed going to provide them with comfort for that? And can the bed provide the support to help alleviate pressure points? So you've got these really plush type beds that you can get. You've got the ones that are raised up off the floor a little bit. For cats, I've seen like hammock type beds that are sort of up higher that they can sleep in, or sometimes that's attached to their cat tree and stuff. Mm -hmm. So those are all things to consider. And some of those options can be suitable for climate suitability because they're not going to want to sleep on a bed where they're getting too hot or where they can't feel warm enough. So you can consider using cooling beds or raised beds for 
climates that have a tendency to be fairly warm. And you can also consider heated beds that can provide more warmth and comfort when you're living in a colder area. Now, you have to still keep safety in mind with those because those heated ones can sometimes involve electrical cords, which might be fine for some animals, but there are other animals who can be chewers. So that could be a risk for them. And the cooling beds, you know, the materials that those are made from could potentially be toxic as well. So again, you have to know your pet's personality and consider, you know, is there a potential for them to chew on this and ingest anything that could be possibly toxic? Definitely. Definitely. So as you can tell, when you have a larger breed animal, just like we were talking about last week in our episode, when it comes to the products you choose, you have to be conscious about these certain things, just like you would if you had a normal size animal. Have to make sure you understand all of the stuff and you get what your animal needs, your individual animal. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about certain products that you're going to have to keep in mind as well if you choose these animals. So we'll see you in a bit. Hi, everyone. We hope you've been enjoying season three. It's been a great couple of years so far. Moraine and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. We've got lots planned for you this season, great interviews, great topics, and we're even building you a home on YouTube. If you want to help us out and be the first in line, just head to YouTube, look for the Animal Files podcast and hit that subscribe button. Or you can just head to the website www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Calm. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. And we are back. Thanks for listening to the Animal Files podcast. Before the break, you learned about some of the important products where size really matters for your pet and how keeping this in mind will help ensure their comfort, their safety, and of course, their overall well-being. We have a couple more important products to consider. And in some ways, these are actually more critical, if that's possible, (laughs) (laughs) more critical than the previous three products we talked about. And the first one we all need is collars and harnesses. So Miranda, what do we need to know about collars and harnesses for these very specific types of animals? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, we're focusing more on the cats and dogs, because if you have the other types of pets, you're probably not going to be using these kinds of products. I've seen harnesses on guinea pigs and ferrets. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, then maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I have even watched a video on a rescued raccoon that had a collar. So... <laughs> I think it depends, again, on the individuality of that particular animal. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So the key thing we need to focus on with collars and harnesses is, of course, their size and their adjustability. You want to ensure that the collars or harnesses that you use are going to be adjustable so that you can give that proper fit. Yeah, so they can't slither out of it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's that aspect, but also if it's too tight, it can create friction and end up creating sores on the neck as well. Yeah. So how do we do this? Well, take a measuring tape and measure around your pet's neck as well as around their chest to get the circumference for an accurate size selection. Now, of course, if you've got a puppy or a kitten or a younger animal, 
you know that they're going to get bigger. So obviously you are going to have to get new collars and harnesses as they grow. Most of them are not designed to start at a smaller size and be adjustable to the point of an adult size. Yeah. Maisie and Frankie, well, Maisie probably never would have outgrown her kitten collar. She still was wearing her kitten collar at three and a half years old. Oh, she was so tiny. Yeah, she was super tiny. But Frankie, even though he didn't make it till too much past two, his collar was getting to the point where I guess I had adjusted it as far as I could. Mm -hmm. So if he would have stuck around probably within six months after he passed away, I probably would have had to get an adult collar for him because he was a different size. Mm -hmm. But Maisie had plenty of room. She was a tiny cat. So she still had her kitten collar on. And I've had cats that have been able to maintain their collars for most of their lives. So again, you have to go with the individuality of your specific pet and you have to watch their growth. Mm-hmm. And that's why collars and harnesses for larger animals is so important because a collar can very easily become too tight mm-hmm. and you can end up having lots of problems. And if you want to refer back to one of our old interviews, you know, collars can be a death sentence for some dogs. Yeah. So you have to really, I mean, I personally think that harnesses are better than collars, but on a cat collars, I consider their clothes. So I just make sure they're the collars that can pop off if they get stuck, mm-hmm. which is easier with cats than it is with dogs because there's not that many companies that make breakaway collars for dogs. Right. But if I was to get a dog, I'd be putting them in a harness when we leave and I would be taking it off when they were in the house. Mm-hmm. And the organization that Victoria was referring to, we'll put it in the show notes so that you can access that if you want to get more information. It's called Labradorable BFFs Writer Safe Foundation. Yeah, it's a good foundation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's some of the other reasons why it is essential to make sure that you have a collar that is fitting properly. If the collar is too tight or too loose, or even the harness in some cases, it can create discomfort, restrict breathing, and also cause injury to the neck area. With a harness, if it's too tight, it could end up rubbing around the chest area or under the armpit area and create friction there, which could end up resulting in sores. If it's too large, then they'll probably be able to easily get out of it. And if they can slip out of the collar or harness, they can potentially escape near traffic or unfamiliar areas and get into danger. Improper fitting collars and harnesses can cause choking due to excess space in the collar or dangling loops or buckles getting caught on something or the pet potentially chewing on accessible parts of the collar or harness. Mm -hmm. So then they could end up swallowing little pieces of it. It can also lead to behavioral issues because of that discomfort. So if you have an animal who is not behaving the way you want them to behave when you take them out on a walk or something, the reason could be because you don't have a proper fitting collar or harness, and they could be dealing discomfort or develop a negative association with that collar or harness. And lastly, if you have an improper fitting collar or harness, it limits your ability to control your pet, which then limits your ability to keep them safe 
and prevent interaction with others if needed. Yeah. And also depending on the breed of what you have, there are different types of harnesses as well. Mm -hmm. You have ones that have a loop in the front, like the chest to help if you have a willful dog, because every time they pull, they get pulled Mm -hmm. to a certain direction Mm -hmm. and it stops them from pulling without hurting them. You can get the loop on the side that will help your dog with the act of healing walk alongside of you without discomfort. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. Heal as an H-E-E-L. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. And then of course you have the harness with the loop on the back. Mm-hmm. If you have a dog that's pretty much neutral, but there's different harnesses out there. So different breeds and different intellectual types of dogs will probably benefit with different ones. So use again, individuality of the animal as your basis for your choice. Mm-hmm. A couple of other things to consider when you are looking for a collar or harness is the material that it's made from and the safety features that it includes. Collars and harnesses should be made from a durable, comfortable, and non-irritating material. Nylon and leather are common choices to use, and you can also consider padded options for added comfort, especially for dogs that are prone to pulling. Mm -hmm. When you're looking for safety features, Consider collars that have a reflective or high visibility feature that will enhance their visibility during low light conditions. So even though, you know, you're supposed to have control over them while you're walking them and that, if they're walking into the road ahead of you and you don't happen to see something coming for whatever reason, you know, a good example would be a bike because there's a lot of bikers out there who don't use lights. Mm -hmm. They could end up hitting your dog or cat because they don't see them and you don't see the rider. I just want to add, we don't recommend roaming cats. So you don't need to really worry about that too much for a cat. But if you have a roaming cat, yeah. then this is something to keep in mind. <laughs> but in those conditions as well, you have to consider something that is not going to put them in too much danger if they get caught up on something. Because sometimes they like to climb up on trees or in bushes and stuff yeah. like that. And they could end up getting hung up or something like that. So another good thing to consider is breakaway collars. This is recommended to help prevent accidental choking if they become entangled on something or even while they're roughhousing with other pets. True breakaway collars should easily release to prevent strangulation. And again, we're going to add that foundation. And so we recommend that you check out the Rider Safe Foundation if you want more information about breakaway collars and the warnings and concerns about keeping collars on your animal. Mm -hmm. There's some collars out there that they say that they're a breakaway collar, but when push comes to shove, they don't come apart very easily. Yeah. Especially for dogs. For cats, it's really easy because almost every place I've ever gone to buy a collar for a cat has breakaway collars for cats. Mm -hmm. It's the dogs that you have to kind of search for. And the Rider Safe Foundation can direct you to people who actually have a true breakaway collar. Yes. And another important aspect is that you want to make sure you are regularly checking the fit and the condition of the collars and harnesses you are using. That's very important. The second product category that we want to bring to your attention is feeding and watering supplies. You may not think that this is such a big deal because you're like, okay, so I've got a little chihuahua, but I've got a huge water bowl. Why is that a big deal? Or I've got a a cat and I've just got like a small little water bowl, small cat, small water bowl. That makes sense to me, right? Well, 
when we can select the bowls that are the appropriate size, they will help to accommodate the appropriate amount of food or water for both your pet size and their dietary needs. Therefore, larger bowls are suitable for larger breeds and smaller bowls usually work well for small or toy size breeds. And again, this is leaning more towards more mm-hmm. important for dogs than it is for cats because cats tend to be, even the larger cats are pretty close to the size. Unless you got like a hybrid like we were talking about last week, but this is mostly for dogs. So you do not want to have a large breed eating out of a small bowl and you don't want to have a small breed eating out of a large bowl. It's just not suitable. They can gasp more air than they need to and it can cause health issues. Mm-hmm. When it comes to cats, if you're using a smaller bowl for cats, then they can experience whisker fatigue if the bowl is not wide enough for them to be able to access the food or water without their whiskers touching the edges. Yeah. And that goes for all sizes, cats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The kittens to the adults, to the larger ones, to the smaller ones, whisker fatigue is a real thing for cats. Mm -hmm. And the other aspect of that as well is that if particularly with the water, not so much the food, but with the water, if the water is at a lower level in a taller bowl, they can have difficulty really being able to tell where that water level is. Yeah. Other things, if if we have incorrect sizes of dishes, you can have issues of either overeating or undereating because this can really impact the portion control that you are giving, particularly if you are free feeding and not knowing how much you are putting in the bowl each day. So even if you are free feeding, it's really a good idea to be able to measure how much you are putting in there so that you can track how much your dog or cat is eating. And then you also want to be able to monitor their body weight and that too. And as we said, if it's the wrong sized bowl, this can create difficulty for both dogs and cats in accessing the food or the water because of the shape of their face, the length of their snout, or because of the whiskers in the case of the cats. This could potentially be an issue with dogs, but I haven't actually heard anything about whisker fatigue when it comes to dogs. I just want to add too that with cats, it's better to have a wider, shallow bowl. So it may not hold as much water, perhaps, but they're not going to end up having to touch the sides. They're going to be able to see the water more easily. That's also why you want to have multiple water bowls throughout the house Mm -hmm. and different sizes as well. Mm -hmm. I've had big giant porcelain ones that were relatively shallow. Mm -hmm. I've had fountains. They like the fountains because they don't even touch anything. They can just Mm -hmm. touch the little spout of water coming down. I've used elevated bowls, wide bowls, porcelain bowls, ceramic bowls, giving cats a variety. I don't think dogs really care, but giving cats a variety is important. Yeah. Cats can be a lot more finicky. So sometimes we have to play around and find out what is going to be the best option for them to encourage healthy eating and drinking. Yeah. Another potential issue with not having the correct size dish is that you could end up having a lot of spills and messes because the dishes are too small or too shallow and your animal might end up just 
getting the food and water all over the place. <laughs> yeah. A lot of unnecessary cleaning. Because <laughs> you have some pets who just like to put their paw in and pull the food out anyways. So Maisie and Frankie did that. We always had to pick up dust <laughs> all over the floor because they would always grab the food. I mean, Maisie would go into the cable bowl, pull out five little kibbles, put it on the floor and eat it from the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a mess. But that's the way she wanted. So we just made the adjustments so that she could eat the way she wanted to eat. And even with the raw food, they did the same thing. They pulled it out of the bowl, ate it from the floor, or wanted to chase it through the house. Mm-hmm. It could be a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, some dogs and cats are clean. Yeah. Others are not. <laughs> Yeah. So again, you have to keep in mind that sometimes it could be like personality traits that can create some of the situations that come up. Other times you can look at the size of the dish you're using. (laughs) Yeah. So I know we're going to talk about elevated feeders in a little bit, but I wanted to add that when we talk about a variety of bowls, that's also something to keep in mind. And we're going to go more deeper into that in a little bit, Mm -hmm. but just from my personal experience, my two beautiful little babies that burned bright and left us quick. They preferred to drink elevated, but they ate by putting their stuff on the floor. (laughs) So we had a variety of levels and stuff like that. So they could eat how they wanted to eat. Mm. So that's just something to add when you're creating a variety for your cat and maybe small dogs would be the same. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, every animal is an individual. But I know dogs aren't as picky as cats are. (laughs) Usually not, but (laughs) there can be exceptions in there that way too. (laughs) Yeah. Another challenge with having incorrect size bowls is that you could end up having your animal not take in an adequate amount of water. Mm, It's important one. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's so important because too many animals don't get enough water Mm -hmm. because they have one bowl especially dogs make a mess. Yeah. So the water gets all over the floor and then they're just not getting enough. Mm-hmm. So even though we suggested using a larger, wider dish for cats, you still want to avoid using dishes that are too large that will not allow most of the water to be drunk and end up causing unused water to have to be thrown out. So you have to find that balance. You also want to avoid using dishes that are too small where water is going to be drunk really, really quickly or evaporate in the case of hot weather. And if you're not paying attention and filling it up quickly, or if you don't have multiple bowls around the house, that could end up creating a lack of water consumption. It is best to find water dishes that is going to meet your pet's hydration needs. And as we've already been saying, have more than one around the house as well as outside for your dogs and maybe your cats if they go outside. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully you choose not to. <laughs> Just got to rub it in. Keep your cats inside. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so as Victoria was alluding to just a little bit earlier, couple of other things to consider when you are looking for a proper water bowl for your pets is the material that it's made from, as well as considering the height. There's all kinds of water bowls out there. And of course, plastic is by far the most common, probably because it's the cheapest and easiest to make. Mm-hmm. Plastic is not necessarily safe. It's durable, but it's not necessarily safe. So 
consider materials such as stainless steel, ceramic, or plastic that is BPA free. And some of them, I think- If you have to go with plastic. Yes, if you have to go with plastic. And some of them will even say that it's free from some other kind of chemical, but I can't remember what it's called now. Maybe phthalates or something like that. I can't remember. (laughs) Also make sure you are avoiding any bowls that have sharp edges or coatings that may chip or peel. So if it's a bowl that's a beautiful color, well, maybe it's painted with some kind of a toxic paint. Yeah. That is not going to be safe for your pet. Yeah. When um, Maisie and Frankie were eating wet food, which was only like the first year and a half, maybe of their lives before they went total raw, went to the grocery store and I bought these food safe little bowls that are human grade. Mm. And that's what we use the wet food in. Instead of going and finding a cute little cat bowl at the local store, I went with human use Mm -hmm. and that was uh, pretty good. Of course, they both ended up chipping. So I'd have to replace them Mm. uh, because I think we kicked them, hit the wall, (laughs) (laughs) which is a problem you have when you have ceramic bowls. You have to make sure that you care for them. Yes. Which is another consideration to consider is where you are placing those bowls. Because if you place them in a higher traffic area, then there might be that potential of accidentally walking into them or something like that. I don't know if that was the case with your situation, but yeah, I think we accidentally kicked them. Yeah. Because we would always put their bowls in places where they would congregate, which is typically where we are. Right. So they had a couple places where they would go that were out of the way, but sometimes they just like eat with us. Mm -hmm. So Again, individuality. Yeah. Your cat or your dog is probably not going to be like Maisie and Frankie because <laughs> they were just a little weird. And that's why we love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> Elevated feeders can be something to consider as well that might help to encourage your pets to drink enough water and to eat the quantity of food that they need. And mostly this is a consideration for large or giant breeds, just simply because since they're so much taller, they have to bring their head so much further down in order to access the food or water. Now, granted, some of them, maybe that's not a big deal. I mean, you see horses and cows and animals like that who are always reaching down to the ground to eat. And that doesn't seem to really be an issue for them. I think it might depend on the animal, like the species of the animal, because like a horse's and a cow's digestive system is much different than a dog's and they don't have to worry about the same things dogs do and vice versa. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's just physiology that makes it so a horse doesn't have the same problems that a dog would have. Like a Great Dane. And a small bowl is going to be eating like a giraffe, you know, with their legs splayed out. And <laughs> you know, that's can't be comfortable. Yeah. I mean, it really can't be comfortable. Right. It's more or less like, you know, appreciating the size of your animal and doing what you need to do to make their life a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to see a giraffe eating grass that often. Like they're going to go to the treetops. Right. Yeah. You know, so dogs with these really long legs going to be different than like, say, a bulldog or a mastiff, which are typically considered large breeds, but they're not very tall. Right. A big giant bulldog can be 125 pounds, but they got like six inch legs. Mm. It all depends on the breed. Yeah. So, I I mean, having an elevated feeder can help to promote better posture during mealtime. Like, as you said, 
can help facilitate better digestion as well. Yeah. But another consideration for that as well is if you've got an older pet, or even if it's not an older pet, but it's a pet that has some kind of a medical condition that is affecting its joints or muscles, having to bend their head down to access to food or water can be very, very challenging for them. So having it raised and making it easier for them to access their food and water is going to be beneficial. Exactly. Yeah. Just make it comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if you do that, you're going to make the right choices. And of course, in some cases, it's just simply preference. (laughs) Exactly. Like my little tiny cat that liked to have her water elevated, but not her food. (laughs) (laughs) She was a drive-by drinker. She just wanted to walk past the bowl, take a sip and go by. (laughs) So we have one more tip and we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. And we're going to summarize the rest of this episode. Hopefully this will give you a really well-rounded place to start in regards to size and products. So let's wrap this up. So what's our last tip? So the last tip that we want to share with you is that it is very important to regularly inspect and replace any of the products that you get for your pets as needed so that you can ensure that they are going to remain in good condition and continue to meet your pet's needs. Yeah, like those two bowls that got cracked, Mm. they got to be replaced. There's no sharp edges, but it's also now porous. So it's a good way to keep things clean. Mm -hmm. So you guys, I bet you never thought about why size matters so much when it comes to your pets. Well, they sure as heck know now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I'm sure you can tell it impacts them a great deal. Yes, it does. So next time you're online or in the store looking at pet products for your animal companion, will you choose to prioritize the safety, comfort, and specific needs of your pet when making your choice? I think our listeners will. (laughs) And if you know somebody who doesn't, maybe our listeners will teach people. Yes. Here, (laughs) this is how you want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Will you also consider your pet's individual preferences their temperament, their size, their play style, (laughs) and any specific (laughs) requirement they may have due to age, breed, or health conditions. I know that's a tall order, but... (laughs) Yeah, but it's a common sense thing. If you love your animal and you want to give them the best life possible and give them a good experience living with you, these are the things that you're going to do. And I think if you love your dog so much or love your cat so much, you're naturally going to do these things. Some of us just don't know how to go about it or where to start. And hopefully these last couple episodes can point you in the right direction, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to larger breed animals and the tiny animals. I mean, if you have a little teacup poodle, you can't be feeding a bowl that you would feed your Labrador in. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to work. They might climb right into the bowl. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And your cat is going to need a different size bowl than your dog. So if you have a multi-animal household, you're going to have to set things up so your animals can have enjoyable dining experiences and sleeping experiences and play experiences. You want to make sure that you cater to the animal. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about spoiling. We're not talking about treating them like they're not a cat or not a dog. Remember, a cat needs a cat and a dog needs a dog. 
it's to cater so they can live a happy, thriving life, just like you would do for yourself. If it's really hard for you to do something, you're going to make it easier for yourself somehow. If you have little hands, you're not going to have a giant mug to drink your coffee out of, Mm -hmm. which is saying do the same for your animal. And if you have any questions, as always, you can email us the animal files podcast at gmail.com. That is the best way to get in touch with us. But if you are a social media person, you can find us there. We're pretty much the animal files official everywhere you look, except we're on Twitter, but we're really not on Twitter anymore. We're on threads. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're going to be on YouTube soon. So check us out and we will do everything we can to help you out and you can get our episodes straight from our website you can also get our social links you can find ways to support us and that's the animal files podcast.com everything you need will be there so did i get everything also keep an eye out on our website for resources because we are building our resource section for you so that you have the information you need at your fingertips. Until next time, thank you for listening and sticking with us through this whole episode. Hope you got a lot of information out of it, and we will see you next time here on the Animal Files Podcast. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.